Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. Our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, this is officially our first episode of 2024, and it's the beginning of a year-long journey for us exploring leadership. Throughout the year, we'll talk with leaders from both within and outside the RSPA member community about their leadership journeys and what they've learned along the way. Now, we have two special guests with us today. I'll introduce them to you, but they don't need to be introduced to each other. First, we have a return guest. Tom Bronson is the president of Mastery Partners, a provider of business consulting services with a focus on exit strategies, recurring revenue growth strategies, and strategic planning. Prior to launching Mastery Partners, Tom had executive experience as a CEO of Diamond Touch and the CEO of ISV Granberry Solutions. Tom, welcome back to The Trusted Advisor. Thank you, Jim. I, I, I got my hair cut just for you today. Fabulous. I was going to say, for those listening on audio only, Tom is completely bald. So <laughs> you get to follow along at home. Thank you, Tom. Really appreciate you shining it up. You're quite welcome. It's good to be back. Sure. Yeah, you can tell how we treat the return guests, setting the tone right away yeah. for the new year. This might be John's first and last visit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He may bail halfway through. Uh, so that alludes to our second special guest, John Decker. For the past five years, John's been the CEO of Blockchip, an integrated payments platform. Among John's prior executive experience was serving as VP of sales and the CEO at Granberry, succeeding Tom after Tom sold the company to Jonas Software. John, it's always great to talk with you, and it's nice that we can do it today on the podcast. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, welcome. So I want to start first with a dynamic that I mentioned. So you both worked as executives at Granberry, right? Tom, you sold it, handed things off to John. I'm curious, who wants to go first to share that part of your shared history? Well, go ahead, Tom. I'll I, yeah, sure. <laughs> I think if, uh, if I start and then where I kind of get where John comes on the picture, then maybe he can pick up and go uh, from there. Of course, you know, I bought uh, Diamond Touch back in uh, 2001 uh, and uh, through a period of about 2010 to 2014, we did a number of acquisitions, uh, you know, um, vastly grew the business by adding other companies like Firefly and Vitalink and Let's Get and, and uh, Sales Builder and, and just a number of different applications as we were working to build that recurring revenue. And, um, but I had, I had at the beginning, uh, ultimate responsibility for sales. And uh, I knew that running a company and being responsible for any department is also sometimes a challenge, especially in a business that was growing as rapidly as our business was growing. So uh, we had a couple of fits and starts with uh, various sales managers or sales VPs that uh, that just weren't a great cultural fit for us. And so, um, geez, John, I'm trying to remember when it was. It was a. Uh, it was sometime probably. Uh, 2015, 2016, uh, that I, I don't even know that, that I went to a meeting um, up in Denver. John had been my, the, responsible for the team, responsible for the Granberry business at Mercury. And uh, he and I had grown a great relationship uh, together uh, back and forth. I mean, we did some pretty incredible things in the payment space uh, that John really was my inside guy there at Mercury. And so I'd been invited to participate in a meeting at Mercury and I sat down with the then CEO and I said, Hey, I'd like to poach John from you. Uh, I'd like to bring him on, uh, to, to my company. And of course I didn't do that without taking John out for a round of golf and, and, uh, <laughs> and joining his beautiful wife. He, he really sold me on his golf game. You know, that's, that's yeah. what he did. Yeah. Well, I, I made him. I made him feel so sorry for me that man, you, know, you, you got to do something, right? And so, so I brought John in, kind of to unify our team. I wanted to bring the same leadership uh, that he had exhibited at uh, at Mercury into the Granberry team, and and so uh, that's where John picked up. Let me just give a couple more points, and then I'll let John start from that point and go forward. But uh, when I 
um, when I finally sold Granberry, and it was not just me, we had a, a team of investors, we had, a, we had a number of people who were stakeholders in the business. When we sold Granberry to uh, Jonas uh, Software, which is part of the Constellation uh, group out of um, uh, Canada, a publicly traded company there, uh, one of the things I knew when we were selling to them was that I was not going forward. It was, I didn't have anything against them it was really more about me, uh, which was, uh, as I sat with their team, I said, uh, you know, they, they asked me what role I wanted to play going forward. And I said, you didn't think I was going to be a part of this deal because the last time I sold one of my companies to a publicly traded, traded company and I went to work for them, I discovered two things about myself. Number one, I think I'm a pretty decent CEO and that opinion has not changed. But number two, I'm a terrible employee. I, you know, if I'm not calling the shots. I am really not good. Uh, and so, so I looked right at the CEO of Jonas at the time. And I said, so if you're telling me that you're about to retire, and I knew that that wasn't the case, he was about 15 years, my junior, then I'm happy to have that conversation. But otherwise, I've got a team in place that can take over, pick up, not miss any beats, and and the business will continue to roll forward. And so, and that's when John was named uh, the CEO of then the Granberry Group, and it got broken up over time to other things. So, uh, John, I'll let you chime in on that, John. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So, yeah, like Tom said, I was at Mercury Payment Systems. I was director of uh, partnerships. I had a team of like 10 guys underneath me. And but really, you know, me and Tom just kept on talking and just kept on working together and, and had that really good bond that, you know, you have that trust where you can, can give him points. And, you know, from a, a Mercury standpoint, it was a little different back then is that I wasn't, you know, we weren't just talking business advice. We we're just talking overall everything, right? What's going on with the company? Tom was giving me insights on everything on my side. I was trying to give him insight on his side and trying to see, you know, what's the best path forward. And so when uh, Mercury got bought, I, I, I called up Tom, too, and said, Tom, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I don't think I'm long for this world. <laughs> and that, that, and that's, and you know, when it's just, you know, just as Tom said, I had a lot of autonomy. I, I'm, I'm a really good boss. I'm a horrible employee, right? And, and that, I and that's, that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and I think that's every good, every good leader needs to understand that is that they just don't like taking from other people, but you know, you listen, you know, you listen, you observe, you try to learn from it. But at the end of the day, you want to be the end, of the end decision maker, right? And so when Tom said, you know, hey, give me a second. He really didn't talk about because we had to do it right. We had to talk to, you know, he had to talk to Mercury first. And then it came on board. And it was great. Um, you know, I learned a lot of things that, you know, I thought <laughs> I knew and, and was quickly corrected in the ISV space. You know, um, it's always, I, I recommend every person that, you know, sold credit card processing for a living needs to work at ISV for a little bit, just to understand this is the reality of the situation, not the fantasy world that you make up with credit card world. <laughs> so it, it, it was pretty good. And, um, you know, I, I did the VPA sales, um, tried to unite all three divisions, but um, as we find every division wanted to be their own person as well. <laughs> And so what ended up happening is that um, I ended up taking over a division. So that was my first array of just not just being a sales guy, not just leading sales. It was more running the whole department. And, and you know, re go ahead. No. And so, John, you had never been a CEO or a company president before. Is that accurate? That's correct. I've always been a sales leader. So before that, I was, you know, always a sales leader. I grew up the careers, managed many teams of being sales and all that kind of stuff, but never the whole you know, side, the whole financial picture, all of it. And, you know, thankfully, Tom gave an opportunity where I was in Miami and I, I learned those things. Right. And one of the biggest things that you learn from that experience is you can't do everything. You can't be your hands in on everything. You have to trust your team, you know, and that's the biggest leadership thing is just if you don't trust your team, you're not going to you're not going to succeed. So, you know, we ended up doing very well in that in that it was the retail portfolio. And just about that time, that's when Tom sold. And, you know, that's when they said, hey, John, why don't you do this for everybody now? <laughs> and so, you know, you've already been doing this for a year. We see how the books have improved for a year. Why don't you see if you take on even a bigger, bigger portfolio? So that's how I ended up in that situation. Excellent. Uh, so, so, go ahead, Tom. 
the background than the three divisions. You know, Granberry had three different operating units. We had our our restaurant unit, which was that core base of where we started, Diamond Touch, Vital Link, those guys, Firefly. Uh, then we bought a company, Nova, a point of sale down in Miami, which was a specialty retail. So they they focus exclusively on the the kiosk marketplace for retail. And then we also bought six companies in the wine space and put them all together under uh, VinSuite. Ultimately, we renamed that Granberry Wine Solutions to VinSuite. But so the way we operated the company was we had an executive team leading uh, all of the different uh, functional areas. So John, although he was on our executive team for at the beginning, he had sales responsibility for uh, Nova and for VinSuite, in addition to the restaurant space, which is where he was living day in and day out. And ultimately, I realized that that de that departmental alignment was maybe the wrong method. And so what we did is move to general managers in each one of the divisions. And so that's what John's referencing. We sent him down to be the general manager in uh, Miami at our Nova division, uh, which was a bit of a dumpster fire uh, off and on. Uh, and, and John really uh, became baptized by fire because our mission was for our general managers, they had PL responsibility. They were responsible for every component of their business, sales, marketing, finance, operations, production, every software development, everything. And so that's really where John could cut his teeth on uh, on being a ceo and he did we'll talk about it maybe a little bit later yeah. in the podcast but he did some really cool things later on that i was like man i wish i'd done that you know so uh, well that, let me ask you this tom so like what did you see uh in john that made you go this is the guy who's gonna succeed me like what were some of the traits that you saw or was it like an intentional thing like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna test everybody and see how they do it or just this cream rise to the top i'm just curious you're because you know a lot of our listeners now they're thinking and i have some questions about delegation but first they have to identify the right people i'm curious how you went about identifying john as the right person well it was really more that you know i saw him every day in dallas when we were together and i wanted to get him out of my vision uh, <laughs> that's what i thought it was you know that's, that's what i Thought, right? <laughs> no, I just, John has the ability to just inspire people. You know, there's, there's two components to, to, to running a small business. You have the management side, you have the leadership side, right? And, and John had the ability to inspire people uh, to follow him and, and follow his direction. And, and that was something that I saw in him that, uh, that really made it uh, easy to say, hey, why don't you go down here? Because we've got a team that was doing a little bit of this, you know, internally and externally, and and John could unite them uh, beyond a vision. You know, where if I can, if you know, without uh, sounding um, disparaging to John, his his skills were very oriented toward leadership and less on management. But by going into a role like that, he learned all the management side too of the running the numbers. And I think that he got maybe more of that uh, over at Mercury. Although in those early days, Mercury was brilliant when it came to leadership and really developing people. Matt Taylor, you know, just did a, a great job, and his predecessors, you know, did a did an amazing job uh, doing that. But John really got more of that management side of a small business when he went to Nova. And so is the reality, uh, Tom, like, you know, you guys alluded earlier about golfing. A lot of people think like, I'm going to kiss somebody's butt in order to move up the ladder. But is it more like what you saw is you threw John into situations where I don't say it was sink or swim, but you're either going to put out this fire and turn it into an opportunity, solve the problem or not. Is that essentially like, again, I'm going to ask John next about like the steps of the delegation process, but even like pre-delegation, testing the right person. Does that essentially, what is like, I, I, my old boss used to say like, load them up, see what they can do, see how much they can handle. Is that essentially what it came down to when you were looking for someone to succeed you? I think you uh, pretty much just described my management style. Yeah. I, I, I push them. I want to find the breaking point because if I can find that breaking point, then, then we can fix that, right? If I can't find the breaking point, then, then just keep, keep throwing, lobbing bombs over the, over the fence. Just keep lobbing. 
Got it. Well, thank So, John, now let's talk. Uh, can you begin our discussion about the specifics of the delegation process and the communication process during, I'd say, this long, you know, test and transition? Because a lot of our members get to hear general advice about delegation principles and delegation best practices. I've been, you know, I've been sharing that with them as well. But can you share with us, you know, everything, you know, the specifics, the bumps, the bruises, yeah. the successes? Yeah, you know, you know, the, the biggest thing is, I, I, you know, made a comment about playing golf and kissing ass is like that was never been Tom and I's relationship. We've always been kind of, hey, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit of crowd. I'm going to give you a little. And just that's how you grow up. Right. And, you know, the biggest thing I see when you, you're trying to find that next command and what what happened is, is like I found my next command at Nova to, and that now is currently running Granberry. They're the CEO, you know, they're the GM of all of Granberry. They're the CEO of it right now. And so how you do that is that you got to look for somebody that you're not pulling along. I don't think Tom ever pulled anybody along and said, if you have to pull them along, then that's never going to work. Right. And you guys are talking about, Hey, just throw more stuff on them, throw more stuff on. To me, that's a little bit of pull along. I'm more looking for, are you taking initiative? And I think that's the biggest steps that, you know, with me and Tom worked is I was taking initiative outside of my realm of sales. Right. I was sitting down with the finance person and understanding the numbers. I was sitting down with Tom and talking about, hey, what's going on with, you know, the installation process? What, how can we make this better on, from a sales perspective? Things that a sales guy just doesn't normally ask is I was trying to figure out and be inquisitive by it, right? Be curious. You know, and that's the biggest thing is like you talk about those steps of de delegation is I was being more curious. And, you know, there was a lot of those executive team meetings that I just wouldn't shut up. I'm sure Tom wish I would. <laughs> but you know, I was just curious. No I just, I just wouldn't shut up, and I just wanted to know every down to the detail why and make it make sense in my head, right? And that's that's how you get to that delegation period of just. It's not like, hey, he takes this and you take this. It's not like we're drawing the map out. It's just, well, he's already taking this. He's already running it. And then Tom's on the background going, well, maybe you should do this a little bit different, right? Or maybe you should do this a little bit more. But it's more help guide the car not put the gas in the car if that makes sense yeah more steering as opposed to i got to push this thing up the hill on yes. my own to get them moving yeah if yeah. you have somebody that you're trying to push push up the hill they're not they're never going to succeed you that's no. never going to work yeah to be clear i think that that's you're absolutely right john if i feel like i'm having to pull anything that i'm throwing when i'm lobbing grenades and whatnot it's not an intentional test necessarily, but but I do want to see where the breaking point is. But I I only do that because I realize that person can handle more and more and more and more responsibility. It's and if I ever feel like I have to pull them, that's the moment I decide it's time to uh, sever our ties because I, I don't have I don't have the time, energy, intellect, uh, patience any of the other uh, words you might use to describe to pull somebody along into leadership. They either get it or they don't. Yeah, and, and they, you know, and that's, yeah, go that's ahead, what led to a lot of my success down in Nova is that, you know, we had a, a, the head of support, his, his name is Rap, great guy. We're still friends today, still talk. Head of support, everybody discounted him totally. Didn't think he would do anything. And he came into my office and just said, I want to know everything. I want to know how to do all this stuff. And he just constantly came in and said, all right, this is the guy. And so I just kept on working with him. I kept on promoting. And by the time, like the last three months before we, you know, we left when, you know, Granberry, because I knew that was going to happen. I pretty much did zero when it came to Nova stuff. Rap was handling all of it and I was just reviewing it. And you think it was only three months? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you talk to Rap, he'll probably say it was nine or ten, but... <laughs> But I was but just I, reviewing everything. I'm texting Raf right now. I, I want to find <laughs> out. But I guess if we can zoom out here for a second, there's almost a thing of when you're looking at your team and you zoom out, if you have just say 20 people on your team and you're going, man, I don't have anybody who's showing this great initiative, you're going to be in some trouble. Like you've got to have some, per not that every single one of your employees is going to be the CEO or has the initiative to do that, but you better have way, you better hire for initiative and really look for that or else you're going to be in trouble because everybody's got to change everybody has to adapt yeah, yeah. With, with every hire that we made and john included on this i was hiring my replacement especially at a senior level in our business now don't forget we weren't a, you know when i bought the company we had 13 people and there was nobody else there who who probably would have fit in that uh, category of this person can run the company. Um, and, but over time, as you grow, 
then you have to start always looking for your own replacement, right? Because, because we have an expiration date. You know, every business is going to transition whether we want it to or not because something might happen to the owner. You know, I've, I've heard how many stories have we heard that, Jim, in, in this marketplace where the owner's, you know, 78 years old, has a heart attack and is gone, right? And, and, and uh, there's no one left there to run that business. So, so I think you have to really be intentional looking for those people. And frankly, that's really what I had in mind for John, you know, I, I'm, but I also hired Sherry as my replacement. I hired Duessa as my replacement. I hired John as my replacement uh, because you really elevate the team when you're constantly uh, thinking about what are the future capabilities of these people. You know, and, and Jim, when you talk about hiring people, like, and, and I can echo exactly what Tom is saying, you know, my two biggest principles I've always said to over and over is attitude and effort. I can teach everything else. I can't teach attitude and effort. And if they don't have the right attitude and they don't have the effort, and like, it's one thing to say, hey, I really want to be a CEO. I want to be a CEO. But it's another thing you have to put forth the effort, right? You have to actually learn. You have to have to go through the steps. You have to go and actually put forth effort. Actions speak louder than words, right? You know, and it's, it doesn't always work out. You know, there's been times in my career that I've hired on attitude and effort. I remember a sales guy that Granberry that had the best attitude, the best effort, and just didn't have the talent, right? But it takes a little bit of time to figure that out and figure out if they have the talent to actually do it or have the smarts to actually understand it. And you hope you can teach them and you can hope you can get them through those hurdles. And maybe someday if you spend a month time on it, you can, but it starts with attitude and effort. Yeah, and I can say back in my days at uh, Jameson Publishing, we hired editors. That's where I started. Like you guys came from the sales side and then moved in. I start on the operations side. And so we were hiring editors. We actually had in our ads for the position, fire in the belly. We were looking for people who had that drive for editors. And people would say, don't you want somebody with industry experience and all this stuff? We're like, eh, you can learn all that stuff. <laughs> like, you know, if we held out for that, and I always said, you had this massive market of people with fire in the belly. But if you want fire in the belly and industry experience, that whittles it down to such a narrow thing that you're, it's a very low likelihood that you're going to, you're going to bring them on board. Yeah, you know, in my, my entire operation team right now, everyone, a single one of them showing amazing attitude and effort, you know, and there, some of them are from the industry and some of them are not, you know, you know, the ones that are not are doing really well. It's almost a benefit that they're not a part of the credit card industry or the ISV industry because they, they're bringing outside perspectives and they have that great attitude and effort. Yeah. Doesn't always work out, but, but always when, especially when you're looking at hiring leadership, somebody who's going to be influential in your business, look for that unicorn, hold out for the right one, you know, and, and when, and when, and if you realize that it was a mistake, do not be afraid to take action on that. I've, I have, um, I have more than once kept a senior person uh, in a role because it was either more comfortable for me or, or convenient or whatever. But when we finally separated, uh, there was like a great, valve release all the pressure everybody's oh my god thank god you know that's it's uh why 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 did it take you so long uh and so but i'm so i always look to hire the unicorns and and guess what sometimes my arrow hit the wrong target but that that's happens okay. no matter what like even if you're yeah. sending the wrong you're always going to end up short like if you're not even aiming for for something higher there's never 100 percent hiring so john uh last word from you before we take a quick commercial break yeah you know the, the one thing i would also say is because i talked to a lot of isvs is they let budget constrain the unicorn right and you know tom's talking about hiring the unicorn don't be afraid to spend if you find the person that you want get them right and if they if they provide the value Shoot, you'll get that money back. Everybody always tries to plug that into a spreadsheet and try to see and just say, hey, listen, if this person's that good, your spreadsheet will look even better to pay for that, right? It'll pay for themselves. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people. They're just, oh, that's too expensive. I can't afford that. I can't afford that. You got to get out of that mindset or you're not going to grow. Well, before you go to that commercial, I want to tag on to that. And, and this applied also with John. I always hire people before I can afford them. Uh, and, and if I, if I feel like they are going to rise to that occasion, if you hire somebody before you can afford to have them on your staff, they will pay for themselves in spades. That's right. If they're like, we said about the whole load them up, if they can do the work of three people, right. Cause some people can do that, right. Cause they're so extraordinary or they increase your sales and profits to a degree. They save so much money, man, your money up. 
uh, in terms of a pyramid. It also makes me think one time early on, um, this is going way, way back. So maybe, you know, 25 years, um, we, our pay scale for a copy editor, like it tapped out at $50,000. We had a candidate come in and they wanted at least $60,000. And I'm like, they're outside our range. And the owner said, no, interview them and see, maybe they're a $60,000 copy editor. I interviewed them. They weren't any good. And I went back to my boss and said, if they're a $60,000 copy editor, I'm a million dollar operations manager. (laughs) (laughs) How'd that work out for you? (laughs) (laughs) Never, never quite got there. Never quite got there. But yeah, but that's the whole thing. Don't to your point, to both of your points, don't let that hold you back. Don't let some nickels hold you back for somebody who could have dollars worth of impact on your organization. Yep. All right, let's pause here to let our listeners and viewers know about the Retail Solution Providers Association. The RSP is North America's largest community of retail technology VARs, software developers, vendors, and distributors. To accelerate your success through an RSP membership, email membership at gorspa.org. Also, thanks to our sponsors who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. For 2024, our platinum sponsors, Blue Star. Our gold sponsors are CoCard, Epson, Heartland, and ScanSource. Finally, want to make sure you save the date for Retail Now 2024, the Retail IT Channel's number one trade show, education, conference, and networking event. This year's event is set for July 28th through 30th at the Paris Hotel in Vegas. For more information, visit gorspa.org forward slash retail now retail now is where the industry meets and where you can meet john and tom not that i'm committing you guys to go but you go every year so i'm assuming oh you you already passed my check so i think i'm going yeah (laughs) it's true and it's one of those things that uh, i think it's no secret uh, to those who are listening to this podcast who know us i always seek to get a booth nearby uh, block chip uh, because then i know i'm i'm around friends right (laughs) and we appreciate you doing it (laughs) <laughs> That's the way to do it. So, gentlemen, I, I just I sent uh, you know I put together a long list of questions, but I knew we were going to follow some, so I'm jumping ahead in our question set here just for uh, for Tom and John. So, I really want to talk about mentors. And so, can you talk about some leaders who you have looked up to, or you looked up to as mentors, and folks who have helped shape your leadership approach? And I'm hoping for our audience, it's not just hey, let me name these five names, and people are going to go, I don't know who any of those are. Those are just famous people. But I'm curious, what did they do or say that's had a lasting impact? On you, and so John, if you want to take that one first, who are some of your mentors and what impact they have? Yeah, you know, obviously Tom has been a part of that list. Um, you know, one of the things that why me and Tom had a good synergy is just kind of honing in my whole thought process of you know what is a good leader, what is going to be um, a good uh, you know aspect of that. But the biggest thing is you know you got to let your your people run. You got to do it. And Tom used to say something all the time: is I create the field, you guys play on. Right. You know, that was always a good thing that he always said, you know, and, you know, and I coupled that with some of my leaders in my past as well, is that you you try to take a lot of bits and pieces. Right. You know, have that trust factor. I had a leader that was really big in me when I was younger in my younger days is that you're only as good as your word. And, you know, that shaped my entire career as a salesperson because, you you know, you work with salespeople that lie, cheat and steal to get their sales. And I've always tr- prided myself as I do what I say, I say what I do. And I, I could contribute that to a lot of my mentors in the past, right? You know, and then, you know, my stepdad was a big part of that as well, being a great leader and a mentor to me. It's just, you know, he, he got, he was, had me running a McDonald's, like being a manager, a swing manager at McDonald's and teaching me those things of how, you know, to build teams really. And so it's all a combination that kind of all the same things you see from the great leaders of just, hey, good leaders let people run. Good leaders trust their people. Good leaders say what they, you know, do what they say, say what they do. And, you know, you get those, a lot of those combinations as you go through it. And then even today, it's just a lot of my, you know, a lot of people have like a lot of hangups about mentor, you know, mentor, mentee relationships kind of thing. And I always say, you know, we're all peers. I can gather stuff from you. You can gather stuff from me and we can keep on going. Right. And, you know, like even my co-founder of the day, you know, I gather stuff from him. He gathers stuff from me. We just keep on evolving. We keep on growing. And it's not just a mentor and a mentee relationship. It's everybody's just trying to learn the best practice moving forward. Great. And Tom, before you answer the question, John, I have a follow up for you in terms of like there is the real thing of, you know, here's the field. Let people run. Let them do their things. But I've often seen that folks do ignorant empowerment. And the visual for that is like you don't have some intern in the operating room and the surgeon goes, here's a scalpel. Go ahead. I let my people, you know, do their stuff. Right. You're going to end up with a bunch of you know, someone's dead is, you know, someone's going to be dead in that uh, operating room. Can you talk about the fine line between like how much training and guidance you need to 
do so you don't have ignorant empowerment and then how much free reign you give well, to people. Can you talk about with, that? It starts with hiring, right? It starts with hiring and it starts with making sure you hire the right people so you don't have that ignorant empowerment, right? So you don't have those people in. If you don't have the right hiring and if you don't have the right people to play on your field and know not to make those big mistakes, then you did wrong. You know, and it's, it is a trust. This is the biggest problem a lot of business owners have. You've got to let your people make mistakes, just like you got to let your kids make mistakes. If you don't let your kids make mistakes, then it's going to be bad. And, you know, and it's not, they're not going to grow. They're not going to keep on going through the things. And, you know, I actually want my people to make mistakes when they first start, because then it's a coaching opportunity and they learn that lesson a lot better. You know, we have a very detailed training process. We have all that stuff, but nobody, you know, it doesn't matter how good your training process is. I remember when we had Tom, I convinced Tom to hire a trainer, right? We had a trainer going down, working through, it doesn't matter what you do. Nothing works until you get live and you're on the field and you're ready to play. And so that's, you know, we kind of moved more to that model is, hey, let's get them geared up, get them ready to go. If you make mistakes, it's okay, right? And you, you know, the only thing that you have to do is just protect yourself to make sure you don't it doesn't kill the business, right? <laughs> that That's my lines, right? Are they going to make it so people can't process cards today? No? Well, okay, then let them run. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Tom, can you talk about what John just said in terms of, you know, that uh, it sounds like baseline training and then get the right people that'll learn from their experiences. So uh, you go from there. Can you talk about that? And then we'll talk about your mentors. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, in terms of like, you have to really decide um, what is what are the responsibilities, what are the accountabilities, right? I mean, to me, that is um, when you are in a uh, relationship of hiring folks, especially again, we're talking about leadership. I'm not talking about necessarily frontline people who are answering phones and and dealing with clients because those are very set structured rules. But I'm a I've become a big fan of like more accountabilities, right? Uh, accountabilities or responsibilities. This is what you're responsible for. Uh, and and then if you can get out of the way and let them do their job, then it almost always turns out, I, I guarantee it'll turn out differently than what you expected. And it, it'll probably be better than what you expected, right? Uh, in terms of, of that. And so, yeah, you have to though, you have to really document processes. You really have to make sure that you've got a solid bulletproof approach to whether it's sales or even you know product development. Um, and uh, and so I think those things are are really important. In terms of mentoring, though, um, I have a uh, mine might be an old school uh, thought on on this. Uh, uh, to me, a mentor-mentee relationship is a very intentional thing. Um, that that you know, and throughout the years, I have been blessed to have some really amazing mentors. And and I'd tick off all the names for you, and and everybody listening would go, who, who? Because they they wouldn't know any of these people, right? I mean, it starts with my dad, right? My dad was a businessman. And I worked for him early, early in my career, and and I discovered, um, it's stated just a little differently than what John did, uh, when you hire somebody to go do something, give them enough rope, this is the way my dad said it, probably not appropriate today, give them enough rope to go hang themselves, uh, but not to hang the company. Right. And so so um, let them go out and make those mistakes. So dad was a great mentor to me. I, I think back to the days that uh, that my brother and I uh, were were um, managers in his business. And it was a dealership. It was doing uh, medical distribution. And um, and we would take my dad some crazy ideas. And his answer was always the same. Huh. Well, that sounds interesting. Why don't you give that a try? He never said, ah, I tried that 12 times before. You can't do that. It was always, huh, I find that that's interesting. Why don't you give that a try? And I really learned there that you get out of the people's way, right? Because it didn't until later in life. My dad died 25 years ago this month when this podcast is released. And I didn't realize this until almost close to his death. Uh, and that was... Uh, I, I was telling him how much I appreciated that mentorship that he gave me uh, and some of the lessons that I'd learned. And that was one of them. And he, and he said, you know, that it was really a lesson for him as well, because he thought that some of our ideas were the stupidest things he'd ever heard in his life, but we pulled them off. 
And, and he said, at first, it frustrated me that you guys were able to do things that I was not able to do. But then I realized, holy cow, you know, you guys can do so much more. I've laid a foundation and now you guys can do more. And he said, I hope you learn from that, that the people that you hire, if you get out of their way, they're going to take you in directions that you would never expect. Um, and uh, another one of my great mentors, he's also passed away, I guess, to be one of my mentors, you have to be dead now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, was uh, Pat Kelly. When we sold our company to PSS World Medical back in 97, 98 timeframe, um, I had gone to work in a senior leadership role. And that's when I discovered I'm really a better CEO than I am an employee. But nonetheless, Pat Kelly, the CEO of that parent company, uh, was very much a mentor to me. He sat me down one day and he said, how's it going? I said, I think it's going pretty good, Pat. How, what do you think? He goes, he said, I, said, I think you're too indecisive. I said, oh, really? Why do you, why do you think that? He said, because you're not making enough mistakes. I said, what do you mean? I said, I'm, I'm fully vetting. I'm trying to understand. I'm, 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 I'm considering all angles and I'm trying to make the right decision every time. He goes, yeah. So we didn't get to where we are by making the right decision every time. He said, if you're not making Bronson, if I charge you to make three bad decisions out of every 10, not intentionally, but make three bad ones, because that tells me that you're moving at the pace that I want you to move. Yeah. And guess what? We took that company to a billion dollars, right? Uh, and and he was absolutely right. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. And more importantly, to the people listening to this podcast, if you're a business owner, please don't be afraid to let your people make mistakes uh, because that's the only way that they can learn. And you never know when they're going to discover that pot of gold that's going to make the business 10 times better. Uh, I went to, along those lines, I went to a coaching clinic uh, many years ago. So I've coached over the years, coached my little brother, my daughter, and I was going to coach my daughter in soccer and they had a coach's clinic. And I thought to myself, like, oh, I don't need much instruction to coach, you know, five and six years old. And I've done this before, but I'm like, I'm going to go anyway and see what I can learn. Only a handful of folks were there and it was a soccer coach for a local college. And he sat down and said to them, hey, let me ask you this. Uh, did you guys play soccer growing up? And most of them are like, no. And he said, well, would you play football? And they're like, yeah. How'd you learn to th- throw a football. They said, did somebody come out here and talk to you about throwing a football? And they're like, no, we went on throw a football. Yes. Keep that in mind. Make sure you're giving the kids the ball to kick, right? As opposed to pulling the ball away and you showing them how to do it and you just doing it all the time. And I translate that to business in terms of, I guess, tying in with you said, Tom, here's a field, go play with the ball. And if you're doing it wrong, I'll be able to, to guide you. But if you're just sitting on the sidelines, there's nothing I can coach you on uh, with uh, that at all. So Along that line, let me just add my, this is my favorite story where I I was, I was, I learned a great leadership lesson from an unexpected source. Um, And it was my daughter, my middle daughter. We were, our, our family skis, you know, some families play basketball. We learned early on that we don't, we didn't get the basketball gene. Right. Uh, And so, so our family snow skis. Right. And so, uh, but I've snow skied virtually my whole life. I grew up on the mountains in the mountains of North Carolina, which I know John is not Colorado, but it's a good place to cut your teeth. Right. And, and uh, so we've gone skiing every year and uh, my children, as they've grown up, I, I said to my wife, when we started having kids, as soon as they can walk, they need to be on skis. Cause I want them to be good skiers. Cause it's a, it's a sport that you can do for your whole life. Right. As long as you don't uh, damage something. And, and so uh, my two older daughters had uh, gone up on a lift with me. We were toward the end of a day and there it came down to a spot where you could split off. There was a black diamond. So the most difficult trail going to the right, a blue uh, going to the left. And, and, and we, they were following me and sort of keeping up. And uh, we got to that breaking point and I said, okay, decision time. Do you want to do the black diamond or do you want to do the blue? And Hannah, our, our middle daughter, said, I want to do the black. And Kelsey was being a little bit more timid at that point. She says, I want to do the blue. And I was actually more concerned about Kelsey because she was just struggling a little bit that day to ski. So I looked at Hannah and said, look, when you go down this hill, I'm going down the hill just on the other side of these trees and it meets at the bottom. So I'll get down there quickly. I'm going to go with Kelsey because I'm concerned, but I'll get down there quickly and I'll see you. I'll have eyes on you before you get very far down this hill, right? 
And so uh, she takes off, we take off. Kelsey and I get to the bottom. Hannah's maybe a quarter of the way down. I mean, this is steep. There's muggles everywhere. It's it's treacherous terrain. And she is inching her way down, inching her way down. She gets a little speed. She hits a bump. Yard sale, you know, stuff flying everywhere. Somebody comes and helps her. I'm looking at her going, geez, do I need to take off my skis and walk up this hill? And, and what seemed like forever, it might have been 20, 25 minutes. She finally gets down and there's a spot if you're a skier, when you get to a certain distance from the bottom that you go, I got this and you go, right? Well, she got to that point and she took off and I started skiing over to her and I was all ready to say, that was a lot harder than you thought it was gonna be, wasn't it? But before those words came out of my mouth, she looked at me and said, I did it. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, you know what? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. That was one of the greatest leadership lessons that, that I could ever learn from an unintended source, right? Let them do their thing and let them go out and prove prove to you Proof to themselves that they can do that. I love that story. Right. And you might get beat up along the way, right? <laughs> That's right. I should put that in a book somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got just a few minutes left. I have time for maybe one or two more questions. John, I want you to start with this one first. And so it's about learning experiences. And it could be early in your career, later in your career. But like something that was a really difficult time that you overcame could be on a ski mountain. Like mine was always like the great recession of 08, 09. Like that was painful to go through. But man, there's still today like lessons that I'm like, oh, I remember that thing, you know, and uh, Steve Kuntz, the late uh, uh, founder and CEO of Blue Star said, I might not know what to do, but I know what not to do, right? The recession taught me a lot of things not to do or leading into it. John, are you willing to talk about like a really difficult time that you overcame yeah, yeah, and shaped you know as a leader? Yeah, you know what, a, a real difficult time for me is that, you know, I, I was always really good at like taking tests and I was really good at school and stuff like that. I was, wasn't a really good student though, right? And um, what happens if when you get to college is, you know, in high school, you can get away with that, right? You can just go in, not study, take the test, get A's, not worry about it, right? And then when you get into college, all of a sudden that gets a little more challenging. So I, I actually, you know, the first time around in college, I actually flunked out, right? So I was, I left college and I learned. And what the biggest learning experience I had during that situation is, you know, it does take effort. You can't just coast by. And I think that's a lot of people, you know, you'll see a lot of people that are incredibly talented that can get through in life and just get through in life on their talent. And they may have very successful careers, but it's that effort you put that combined with that talent is what takes you to another level. And that's what takes you to someplace that you, you know, you couldn't even imagine, you know, it takes talent, it takes effort, it takes all those things, but you got to be willing to do that. And then you know what, I picked myself back up, I paid for my own college when I went back, got my own degree, and started setting down my career after that. And that's what really put me, you know, that's that transition of just being a child, I guess, even though I was paying for everything before, to a man, right? And that's, that's where you really think about things is this, how do you take control of your own destiny? And you know, that's the biggest life lesson that always sticks with me is that you can take a victim mentality and just say the world's against you, or you can take a step back and just say, you know what? You didn't put forth that effort. You didn't do the things. You didn't do what you said you could do, and you just tried to just coast through, and it didn't work out. Yep, you can start. My old basketball coach used to say you can point the thumb or point the finger, right, yep. in terms of am I taking responsibility or am I going to blame everybody else? Tom, you know, can you, are you – oh, go ahead, John. No, no, I, I just, you know, it, I, that's how I teach my kids. I teach all my people is just don't look at, you know, why this happened to me and what the faults are. Like, it's unfair. If you say unfair to yourself, think about how you put yourself in that situation. That's the biggest thing I always say, too. And just, you know, true story. When I first told my wife, hey, my coach said this, point the thumb, not the finger. She pointed her thumb and then turned it around and pointed it right at me and said, yes, no problem. Tom, you want to talk about a difficult time that shaped you as a leader? Uh, yeah, probably it, it was related to the recession of 2008, but it had nothing to do with that. And that was uh, opening a restaurant um, and and choosing the wrong partners. Right. Uh, that was um, still to this day, Karen and I, uh, we have we have fond memories of owning the restaurant. But but thinking that running a restaurant was like going to a restaurant, right? You know, you just go and there's all, it's all done for you, right? It's a business just like anything else, right? And so we opened it to, for one as a proving ground for 
our software, right? Uh, and uh, but number two, I wanted, you know, I, I saw some very successful um, restaurateurs that uh, that I wanted to have some of that success myself. I was sort of like Jerry Jones. I want to be the football guy. Well, I want to be the I want to be the restaurant guy, right? And so, um, and so, uh, that was a a wildly difficult time, and it made me step back and go. Boy, we jumped into this without really giving ourselves the opportunity and the time to think through it first. Uh, and what what does our partnership look like? Because I'm still sad to say that that it really destroyed a friendship. You know, over that we were we were kind of lifelong uh, friends with these folks, and it destroyed that friendship because we didn't think about the business first. We were going into business, and we just thought, oh, business is just a side piece of, of friendship not the case. Uh, and so learned a lot of really hard lessons that I've been able to uh, uh, take that experience and share it with our clients uh, and work through some very difficult situations with them as well, because it's just, you, you got to think through that stuff in advance. If, if you're going to have leaders and you have, you have four partners, they all can't be the leader. <laughs> yep. Yep. People have to know their roles, just like everybody can't be the quarterback. Right on the football team, right? Somebody's got to catch the ball. Somebody's got to run it. Somebody's got to throw it. And you got a bunch of people blocking. You know, in one of our businesses, our, our, uh, we have a, an event business where we do educational events for business owners. And I hired my oldest daughter to run that organization for me. It's called Business Transition Summit. And as we were looking at our accountability chart, you know, she's got overarching responsibility, but I have responsibility for her sponsorship, which comes underneath that. And she said to me when I hired her, she has... I don't know that I'm comfortable uh, with this relationship. I said, you have to be because, uh, because I need somebody to hold me accountable to doing what I said I was going to do. And you're it. And while yes, I signed the paychecks, this is your role and that's my role. And we're very clear on what our roles are. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yep. hundred percent. I shouldn't have said that because now, now she's like, Arr. What she's going to listen to this podcast and hear you go, I'm a lousy employee, and she's going to go, oh, maybe I should look for somebody new uh, to fill this business role. They're not very you know, sure he knows that. You, uh, know, you know what, Tom? You, you forgot to tell the, the best lesson that you learned from running a restaurant is you only open up a restaurant if you sell pizza and beer in a college town. That's it. That, that, that's the number one restaurant with a restaurant. Well, we sold pizza. We didn't sell beer. We weren't in a college town. I only had one, you know. <laughs> It takes the three. That's that's what I've learned is because I've had, you know, especially at Granberry, we had the pizza business, right? And you, you would have some horrible pizza that would do outstanding numbers just because they're uh, in a college town and they sell beer. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. The, 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 the competence is not required, but being in the right place at the right time, right? And serving people what they need. Uh, that's it. So we're almost out of time. If you guys can handle this one quickly, I'm, I'm curious because we've alluded to a couple of times, like I'm a terrible employee. I'm a good CEO, but there is a time. And I learned this from one of my coworkers who was in the air force and he was the commandant of their leadership Academy. And he was really big on followership, right? The best leaders at times have to follow their people and follow other people. John, can you take, that first and then Tom you can wrap us up can you talk about the importance of at times being a follower as well and having to maybe report to your daughter report to somebody right who's holding you accountable you just can't be like hey I got this title I'm above everybody can you talk about that well I think the first and foremost is that I never even say like you know I when my people say hey you're the boss you make the decision I always combat that the first thing I always do is to say whoa 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 we're all running this company together. We're always trying to figure out what the best way to go forward is, right? Um, you know, when I say I'm a, a terrible employee, a good CEO, I think the biggest thing is that I can see the trees and make a decision. And that's what you need to do a lot of times is just make that decision. But you allow your team to help you make that decision. And that's where that follower and that leadership comes from, is that if you are following all your people and you're allowing them to make decisions and allowing them, you're just the one saying, yep, that's the right one, then you're doing a great job as a leader. If you're just standing up and saying, hey, we should just go this way and that's it, that's no way, you're going to fail right off the bat, right? And so I would say I'm following every one of, one of my employees, asking them for their input, asking my board for their input. You know, nobody, everybody has a boss, right? No matter where you're at, even if it's your customer, your customer can be your boss as well. And so you learn how to take that great input and your job is just to synthesize that to a great response, right? 
Yeah, I've yeah. gone. I've gotten away from. I'm going to go get buy-in and write convincing this person, as opposed to I'm going to bring this idea to you and let's help me shape this idea, right? Instead of me just trying to convince you, let's yeah, let's I, shape I it together. I can't tell you how many times I said, "Hey guys, this is the problem." When I already have a solution in my head, I said, "Here's here's the problem. What do you guys think?" And they helped me make even a better solution. You know, there's going to be some times where you're going to say, "Well, what about this?" Because you if, you're going to have to do that, but you're allowing them to kind of shape that and get their buy-in. Excellent. Tom, uh, what's your take on followership? Real quickly, um, I've come to realize um, I'm a big fan of Gino Wigman's Traction, uh, that, where he outlines the uh, entrepreneurial operating system. You have visionaries, you have integrators, and then you have the people who execute, right? Get the work done. And, and I know I am neither of these two. I'm a visionary. I can cast a vision all day long, but vision without execution, that's hallucination, right? That's Peter Drucker. Uh, and, but, but I need somebody to translate my vision into a, an action plan. And I've got people in my businesses that do that. Kelsey is one of those. Kim is one of those. Dave is one of those. And then we've got people who actually go out and do the work. And what I, what I realize is that I learn from them because I can cast a vision of what we want to create and they always make it better, right? The other, the other real quick, I think John would agree with me um, at Granberry. I never wanted, when I look for leadership, lead, people to serve on our leadership team when we were hiring, I never wanted a yes person. If, if, if somebody agreed with me in, in all things, we are not going anywhere with this business, right? And so I, I didn't need that. In fact, I I wanted disagreement, and I think we had plenty of it, right? And and uh, and people were not shy about that. But because we get that healthy disagreement, and we're combative uh, and passionate, but once we agree, we go out and and do whatever it is that we agreed to execute on. Then then I think that that is way helpful uh, in any type of a business. Look for other opinions. Your opinion is not the only matter that counts. You know, and I 100% agree with Tom. That's how it was in those board meetings. And, you know, one of the funniest stories I have about Mercury is when I left Mercury, my former boss said, well, John, no, what am I going to do? Nobody else is going to disagree with me in my meetings anymore. <laughs> and that, that was his parting comment to me. And, I, and in my head, is, am I saying is, hey, you're creating that culture. You're creating a culture that everybody wants to say yes to you. So if you have nothing but yes men around you, you got a problem and you need to look at that. Yeah. Right. You don't need just people nodding. That is not going to help you get any better whatsoever. Right. Iron sharpens iron. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Well, that does it for this episode of The Trusted Advisor. If you enjoyed our discussion, be sure to subscribe to the U our RSP YouTube channel and The Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy is the more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSP blog. You can find it at gorsp.org and then clicking on RSP blog. Before we go, big thanks again to John Decker and Tom Bronson for sharing their wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSP Marketing Director Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSP is to accelerate the success of our members in the retail technology ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, visit our website at gorsp.org. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, everybody.